Shock Sports Radio starts now. If Jason Tatum did not miss nine games, Jason Tatum would have been the number one pick in this draft. This guy had the knack, the ability to create his own shot. I, I think Richard was asking too much. Danny wasn't willing to give up. And that's just the way it goes. As a GM, your responsibility is to get the best offer out there. Yeah, that's my point, though. I think he's trying to you know, look at his career as a whole and say, I don't want to go 3-9. and Week 7 of Shark Sports Radio, we break down the new deal with Xander Bogarts and we'll talk about the future. The NBA playoffs is about to be here for the Boston Celtics. Tune in. Welcome to Week 7, Count it Week 7 of Shark Sports Radio. Alongside of me, as always, as you should know, is nobody. is yours truly, Mark Loisel Jr., a.k.a. Shark, right here in the Ocean State, nowhere better to be. Uh, thank you for tuning in to your SoundCloud app. Um, quite the topics, as always, with on these shows. Um, we have to talk about the latest of the Red Sox, good and bad. So we'll break down what is going on with that team currently, off the field and on the field. And we also talk about the latest Celtics why their recent winnings is okay, not great. And we will have to figure out why and how they can be great. So let's get into it. We're going to talk about the Red Sox for a while with good reason. There's roster um, changes um, at the moment. Um, you know, Chris Sale signing his deal for $30 million a year. And Alexander Bogarts, you know, hitting the nail on the head with the deal of $20 million um, per, uh, I think it's six years, $120 million to be exact. And he will play out his one year, $12 million this year. So there's a lot to talk about when it comes to the ability of Alexander Bogarts on the field. If, if I could, I want to get into the dramatic effect of what this deal is as far as market value. I know in the previous uh, show, we talked about how the MLB doesn't have a salary cap and, you know, teams can really throw around any type of money that they really want. And at the end of the day, that stays true. Uh, Xander Bogarts is going to be the, the highest shortstop in 2020. Now, 2019, I think he's, he's ranked among sixth um, this year. Uh, as far as next year, he's going to be ahead of Elvis Andrews. I think Andrews is around $17 million to be exact. Now, what I have the curiosity of is what is going to happen with guys like J.D. Martinez. Uh, Mookie Betts is going to ride out you know, for the season. He's already said that. He's going to become a free agent, and he's going to test the market. He's going to see what his value is. But eventually, he'll realize that going back to the Red Sox is probably the most ideal solution um, because he has the money, he has the fame, the big city, but he has a winning team around a really good core value. So if if you're looking at Xander Bogarts' position, he's in the best position possible because he has a lot of relationships on this team. 
And I think Alex Cora is very, very comfortable, uh, as he mentioned in recent days, that he's going to be the coach of Alexander Bogarts until he's done with his career. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's what essentially he said. Um, and Alex Cora, you know, being a really good defender in you know the infield uh, for the Red Sox back in the early 2000s, he really made a stamp on where he is as far as defense-wise. And I think he's helped uh, Xander Bogarts along the way to correct his positioning. And I, I mean, the bats coming along with Xander Bogarts, he's been, you know, hitting over 300, maybe 280, um, around 290-ish um, the past, you know, two to three years. So the bat has been working. He's always hit for average. Um, his home run numbers are getting up there. Last year, he had a, over 100 RBIs. So he's the guy that really, you know, should be untouchable. And now he is. And I just like to look at the market value of $20 million in this day and age. It's kind of a middle of the pack. So it's, it's not as significant as it sounds. I mean, $20 million, who's going to bark at that, right? I mean, I would love $20 million in my pocket. But I mean, if you're talking about market value with Alexander Bogarts, it's a steal. It's a steal because they have really a lot of money to spend. So the reason why I want to talk about this Bogarts deal from a money standpoint is because what's left over for a guy like J.D. Martinez, Jackie Bradley Jr., Mookie Betts. And I know we got into it you know, the previous week, but if we could just break down essentially what these guys' roles are on the team, I think Bogarts is the middle of the batting order savage. He gets after it. You know, you can put him at the top of the order. You can put him at the bottom of the order. He's going to produce. And right now, he's right behind cleanup. And that's like the perfect spot for him. He's always going to post RBIs. He's always going to play defense. I want to see if he does live up to this contract. Anytime you sign a guy up for a significant deal, there's always questions about injuries, about risks, about Players thinking about what their life is after baseball. And the life after baseball always includes the incentives. So what am I going to get out of this deal that's going to make me invest for my future, invest for my family, my kids? So if you're looking from a life standpoint, Xander really got it made. He got it paid. He got it made. And he is going to be the most earning shortstop in 2020 with good reason he brings it every time on the field I, I mean I talk about you know the 300 batting average but I mean his OBS is one of the highest um, for a shortstop I will say shortstop isn't really a popular position anymore as far as you know money goes I mean Elvis Andrews like I said is probably one of the highest um, but after Elvis it, it kind of drops um, so I think the the value of Xander setting that bar, setting that stage, he's going to be there for a long time. I think he's going to be top three for at least the next five years. And if he is, I wouldn't say the Red Sox are overpaid. I, I think the Red Sox are right within that that ballpark. If it was anywhere from 22 to 25, I'm walking away. And I know that's only 12 more million dollars as a whole, you know, 12 to 15 million dollars as a whole, but we really got to know his worth. What what is he ideally worth on this team? And I think he's worth a lot. You know, he he's he's really like a bat you can count on in the middle of that order. He brings the defense. 
And I think he stands out more than Jackie Bradley. And I think he has the potential to be better than J.D. Martinez from a production standpoint. Now, J.D. had an incredible season, MVP-esque in 2018. But there's going to become a time where this guy kind of has a downfall. And he hit his peak last year. And I don't think it's necessarily a good thing for the Red Sox from a business standpoint to invest in a guy that you can get the same production out of other guys on your team. Like, you don't need four or five guys to bat 300. It would be nice, of course. But I think pitching is really, really key in this league. Pitching is probably the most rare situation you could possibly find if you have a good one, two, and three pitcher. I think you really solidify yourself as a top contender. As far as batting goes, I don't think it's it's as big of an impact as people really look at. Like, you know, if he bats 270 to 280, I'm cool with. But, you know, from from a you know, money standpoint, this guy's going to want to get paid. I mean, he won the World Series. You know, he was arguably one of the best players in postseason uh, baseball last year. So he's going to be due his money. And Scott Boris is going to get him paid. I mean, Scott Boris has come out and said many times that his client will get paid. And Martinez may opt out of his contract after this season. And with good reason. Because he's want, he's going to want to get paid. And if you're the Red Sox, you kind of have to respect that and you move on. An eye-opener to me when it comes to this new deal because we're going to go back to the salary cap. Where are Red Sox going to spend their money? And I, I think Jackie Bradley is a very unique situation. I don't think he's going to be worth the money that he's going to be asking for on the open market. Is he very defensively sound? For sure. He is a can't-miss center fielder of all time. But that's defense-wise. Offense, we haven't really seen consistency out of him year in and year out. And so I kind of weigh myself because it's very difficult because he is an exceptional center fielder, gold glove winner center fielder. If that ball is in his track, he's tracking it down. That's just a given fact. But can the Red Sox really make do of, say, signing you know, a center fielder to come in at like, eight to ten million dollars rather than Jackie Bradley spending close to fifteen to eighteen million dollars a year for a player that can't really give you consistency at the plate. Now again, if he increases his average to say two sixty to two eighty, he's worth it in my eyes. Because going back to the offensive production, you have enough guys on your roster to have that type of balance. They haven't shown it lately but this early, you know, I guess string of games, you can't really get too um, bogged down with because there's a lot of positives coming out of this. There's also a lot of negatives for sure, but it's a long, long season for you to, you know, really, you know, start hitting the gas and start thinking about, is this team really good enough to win the World Series again? I think Chris Sale, his workload, he's coming off of a long postseason Um and then he hits spring training right away. He got his money paid. So he's going to stay steady. And I don't I don't hate that 
because I think from a Red Sox standpoint, you're looking at the long game, right? So if you have, and no pun intended, the long game, I don't mean by giving up 22 home runs in the first seven games. Um, I'm talking about long longevity, longevity of his career. You know, what injuries is he going to get away from? Because he's had that shoulder injury, and that shoulder injury has had an impact this year. It has. You can just see it in the velocity, 92 to 94 miles per hour. Anytime you have that kind of torque motion going on with your shoulder, it's never a good sign. And it's really, really hard to stay healthy because you don't know where the problem is, right? So it could be forearm issue. It could be shoulder issue. It could be arm issue. Right now, it's definitely the shoulder. You can still see it. He's had shoulder problems, you know, for a while now with the Red Sox, but I think he'll eventually get over it. I think David Price is arguably our best pitcher in the rotation. I think Rick Porcello and Eddie Rodriguez are going to have a you know semi down year. I'm not going to say right away that they're they're going to be have a shell of a of a season, but they'll probably get you f- anywhere from 15 to 17 wins on the season, um, which is pretty good in my eyes from you know starting rotation standpoint. Um, but I mean that that's not. That's not to say that the bullpen is intact. The bullpen is far from being solidified. There's no bona fide um, closer on the back end of that rotation and the back end of that bullpen. There's just no way that you can win a World Series without having distinct roles. And those distinct roles down the stretch, it took them a little while last year to really figure it out. But when they did figure it out, they had Joe Kelly in the setup role and they had K- Craig Kimbrell closing out games. And if you don't have that type of setup this year, you might be in a rude awakening because of an offensive standpoint, you're going to have to put up a lot of runs. And a lot of run productivity can wear a team down. And the way you find balance is the pitching and your defense. If you can find those two, I think you're golden. But again, it's going to come down to who stays healthy, who wants their contract more than any of the year. And I'm telling you, Jackie Bradley Jr., J.D. Martinez, and Mookie Betts are going to be playing for their contracts. I, I think Mookie doesn't really have to push the needle as much as, say, a J.D. to show consistency, Jackie Bradley Jr. to show consistency. So it's not really an issue when it comes to Mookie because you already know what you're going to get out of him. It's just how much more can he go up? How much more can he elevate to get that final push to get the MVP? He's missed it a couple of years, but he's definitely going to have a significant role in this year um, with the Red Sox success. So there's a lot of missing pieces right now as far as bullpen goes. But I think from top to bottom, from a batting order standpoint, I think they got it tight. And if these players live up to their contracts, hence Chris Sale, hence Xander Bogarts, they can really see themselves in the big picture of the Red Sox. And I think Xander Bogarts is going to have a very good year. I think he's, you know, again, due for that type of year. You know, just because coming off a contract, feeling good about yourself you know, feeling confident where you stand on the team. Alex Cora having those comments, you know, front office really in higher management, having faith in you moving forward. 
for your loyalty and legacy within the Red Sox. There's going to be a lot of headaches throughout this season because of the bullpen, but if the off season, if the offense, you know, can keep this moving forward in the positive direction and then make their way to a couple of runs within the season, by runs I mean, you know, game streaks. Um, you know, if you can have a streak of games where you just really give it your all and make that, you know, strong push at the end of the season. I can see the Red Sox getting 97 to 100 wins. I think they do take a step back from last year because, again, going back to the pitching, you just never know about the pitching. Offense is always going to average four to five runs for the season per game. That's just, that's warranted. It is defined. It has shown in years past that they can get it done offensively. Um, but their experience from last year to this year, that translation will make sense to all of you, you know, roughly, I would say 50 to 60 games into the season. It might take that long. It might. But I think, you know, having this long road trip, you know, having to fly to different places, you know, having to deal with spring training and the Nick Cafardo uh, situation uh, for the Boston Globe, they went through a lot of down times and a lot of drama, you know, traumatized um, times. And it's, it's never a good thing to go through those times. But the way I look at it is if you go through those, you know, hard times, there's always going to be a positive outlook and you can kind of use that motivation and, you know, that memory of um, a significant writer in Red Sox history to kind of motivate you and look forward to the future. So I, I think that's what the Red Sox will envision Again, it might take 50 to 60 games for them to really, you know, show what they're really worth. But, I mean, they might have a cakewalk in the AL East because I don't see the Yankees really, you know, put up a big fight, especially with uh, Andrew Har getting injured. And, you know, their, their pitching and their offense isn't as sound as we thought it would be. Um, Tampa Bay Rays, they have great pitching. Can they last long? Toronto? Toronto just really see, see as, as a threat, and Baltimore's right there with Toronto. So I think it's going to be a, a very good season for the Red Sox. But, you know, while these guys get paid, you know, we kind of have to pump the brakes in regards to their expectations and, you know, what we could see moving forward. So, uh, you know, the Red Sox have a lot to, to do, a lot of work to, to make up, a lot of ground to, you know, really, you know, work out the kinks because – when you win a World Series, the first thing I always think of is you can get complacent. You can give up games because you've reached your goal. And I just want to use an example from Brian Flores, who's now the new head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And it kind of stuck out to me when he had that um, introductory press conference for him being the new head coach of the Dolphins. And he said, after the Patriots won the Super Bowl, I mean, he, he walked from the stadium to his hotel. And he wanted to live out, you know, what was most about that atmosphere. You know, looking at the fans and their happiness and, you know, seeing the success in the players' eyes. And it kind of stuck out to me because he wanted to live in that moment. And then he wanted to see his team succeed, which they did. But he knew that down the road, there was always a relay coming back full circle to say, we got to do this again every single year. 
And Doc Rivers did the same thing too. And it stuck out to me because he had an interview with Adrian Wojnarowski recently. And again, not to get off topic, but it does relate to the Red Sox. When you win a championship, there's always a complacency going into a new season. What can I do differently to improve my stance in this league? And Doc Rivers actually went to a grocery store after the Celtics won the championship. He took in the atmosphere, granted outside the locker room, and had the you know, let the guys have fun. But when he got home, he said, I just want to go to the grocery store. I just want to live the life because I knew in a couple months it's back to square one. It's back to getting to work. And you gotta love those kind of guys because they believe in the moment. They want to live in the moment and, you know, relish those successes, right? But there's also a side to say, we've got to get back to where we were. And the only way to get back to where we were is not think about the past, look towards the future. So that's a little motivation from my standpoint with these two head coaches because they're so driven. And I see the same thing in Alex Cora. I really do. I don't think that he just is happy with that 2018 championship. I think he knows with the core he has, he can build a legacy in a dynasty that no other Red Sox coaches have. And it will be fun to see if they can keep it up, obviously. But I will say, at the end of the day, baseball is a different game. And the way you strategize against pitchers, against batters, it's a whole different ball game. It's a whole different ball game. And you need to prepare for the better rather than the worst against team, especially teams that you can beat. If you can't beat the Mariners, if you can't beat the A's in the 2019 season, it's going to be a long one. But there's also things that you can take away from. There's a home opener next week or the week after. I think it's the week after. So they're going to come back home. They're going to be right within their comfort zone. And they're going to have to get to work. They're going to have to win games out on the road throughout the season. But this is an early stage. So let's pump the brakes in regards to, oh, this team's trash. They're not going anywhere. No, let's hold that. Let's hold that. Please put a stop sign on it because it doesn't seem like that can happen with this type of talent and this type of team. So moving forward, let's see if this Red Sox team can get their act together and put it in gear two, gear three. And then come 50 games, you'll see the real talent on this team. I'm telling you, 50 games, count it. It will take that long, but when you see it, you'll believe it. So the Celtics are about to tip off against the Miami Heat on this Wednesday night. Um, Dwayne Wade back home. You know, Celtics had a fun one against Dwayne Wade previous night here seems like the Celtics are in a good string of games they have you know four games left including tonight you know the tie for fourth in head-to-head advantage with the Indiana Pacers so it doesn't seem out of the ordinary for you know the Celtics to really make a run when it comes to this playoff stretch you know they have Indiana in the first round and then they'll either play Milwaukee obviously it will be Milwaukee because of Giannis Antetokounmpo you know, who's one heck of a player, you know, the Greek freak. But it will be satisfying if the Celtics find a way to get their three core players going. Now, I want to say three core players because 
Al Horford and Kyrie Irving are a great one-two punch. They're always going to bring it. I think it's important that we understand their capabilities because they're averaging a total of 38 points, 12 rebounds, and 11 assists combined this season. So that impact right now is where the Celtics are guaranteed at making themselves victorious because they have that that strengthening punch at the end of the game. You know, the pick and rolls, the pick and pops, the sneaky Kyrie dribbles between the picks. I've never seen somebody have this amount of handles. I've never seen it. I, I could say Steve Nash, Allen Iverson, you know, you, you talk about God Sham God. You know, he is a great basketball player with ball handles, and he played for Providence College. But there was a lot that Kyrie took away from God Sham God that really made his game increase. I think that's what is astonishing to me is looking at it from inside the game and watching every move that these players make. Like a lot of fans watch it from like a, a fan standpoint, right? They're rooting for the team. Whereas myself, I'm more of like a, a critique basketball watcher. Like I love the Celtics, obviously. I'm a big supporter of them. But what I like to do is look at these guys' games and figure out where they got their moves from. Because that's what the connection, that's what makes basketball so much fun is a student of the game. You know, learning from former players in the past. Like Russell Westbrook last night had 20, 21, and 20, I believe it was. And that is incredible. That's like Wilt Chamberlain numbers. It's better than Wilt Chamberlain. He beat the record. So he has, like Kyrie Irving has the capability to take over in games right any game I think what's going to stand out beyond this season going into the postseason is Gordon Hayward Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown three players I call them the trifecta because they are the trifecta of this team if they can get Gordon Hayward who has been impressive lately I'm not gonna say he he's been great by any means but I mean 11 points six rebounds two assists and shooting 52% from the field is pretty substantial. It's a good impact on a team. What I think he can do better is be more aggressive. And we've seen it in glimpses of like there's been brilliance of his game where he's in attack mode. When he's in attack mode, it is so difficult to beat this guy because he is so to the hoop oriented. When he has the ball in his hands, he wants to go to the hoop. And that's the direction that you need to see him have. Like, he wants to be aggressive. He's going to get to his spots. It's just a matter of how. It's a matter of when. It's a matter of why. Does he want to do it? Because we, I mean, we're through, what, 78 games? And it took this long for Gordon Hayward to get healthy? It seems like that. I'm not saying he's at full strength. But he's probably at 90% now. So... I mean, the health of Gordon Hayward's huge. If he can bring that presence, you know, if he can post 12 to 14 points a game throughout the playoffs and have a significant um, impact off the bench, it's huge. You know, Terry Rozier, I think he's the biggest outlier of this group because he just doesn't show me on a night-to-night basis that he can most certainly get it done. 
Uh, Jason Tatum has been significant. This order, this lineup, these type of minutes that Brad has given him, you know, 14 points, five rebounds through the past 10 games. Paul Pierce has offered him many of times to work out with him. Like recently, you know, come out and said, I'm paraphrasing, of course, but Tatum, if you want my help, if you want to learn, you know, from me, I'll be glad to, you know, work out with you, you know, this summer. And if I am Tatum, I'm going to work out with Pierce. I'm going to learn from Kobe Bryant. I'm going to learn from Paul Pierce. I'm going to learn from Paul George. I'm going to watch his game because that's the type of player you are. You're a scorer. You can get better defensively. You can rebound the ball. And if you could bring all this type of weaponry to the table and bring it to your arsenal at the end of the day, you are a threat to a defense. You are a threat from a rebounding standpoint, from a defensive standpoint. I think the perspective that we have to understand with Jason Tatum is he has so much potential that we haven't seen it because there's so much talented players on this roster. And I think at the end of the day, if we look at the offseason, maybe that's a time where Jason Tatum steps up because he's going to have valuable time to make his impact. Jalen Brown, throughout the past 10 games, 14 points and 4 rebounds, shooting 53% from the field. I want to hone in on 53% because that's substantial for Jalen Brown. Now, he's been knocking in threes recently in years past. He hasn't been as adequate as you know we've seen, as accurate as we've seen. But the ability to get to the hoop is really what he's great at. All he needs is three dribbles to get to the hoop. Actually, I would say two dribbles. And if you get him baseline, look out. If you get him out in the open, he's in attack mode. And that's why it's so important. I want to emphasize this because it is so important and vital to the Celtics. When you play good defense, it translates into opportunities to offense, obviously, correct? But when you play hard-nosed defense, you get steals. Defense always is going to translate into the offense if you have that mindset and that capability. And they've shown it. They are one of the best defensive teams right now from a steal standpoint, from giving up a lot of points, but as long as they win games defensively, that's what matters. They got to hold teams under 100 points. We have not seen it this year. But over the course of this, I would say, 8 to 10 game span, I think they've shown a little bit better defense. Not to say that they're top notch, top 5. They won't make it to top 5. That's a guarantee. But from a steal standpoint, from an anticipation standpoint, from an aggressive standpoint, it's go time. Playoffs are almost here in a week or two, and it's, it's time to really bring out your shine. Because if you don't have that impact right now, there's no way that they can carry into the postseason. And Danny Ainge has said that multiple times on different radio outlets, that if you don't have a good consistency going into the playoffs, it's hard to create it prior to the postseason. So if you don't get it at the end of the season, it's as hard as if you are playing so hard in the middle of the season and then you just have a drop-off, right? Just a huge drop-off. And it's hard to play K 
catch up. It's hard to climb that mountain. It's hard to get over that peak. And if the Celtics don't have that mindset of saying, we need to get ready now for the playoffs, it's going to be a long, long uh, postseason. Because they're not going to be ready for when shit hits the fan. And a lot of shit will hit the fan if the Celtics will not get their mind straight. No more individualistic basketball. We've seen Kyrie. I love the transition that Kyrie has done recently. He is getting his players involved more than ever. It seemed like when they had that rough, rough patch. I mean, the Chicago game, the Orlando game. There was times where they were up 28 points. I would say even the the Charlotte game. There's a lot of communication going around in the background. And that's a great thing to have. Whenever you hit rock bottom, you can't be silent. You can't be silent. You got to have the uh, the motivation and determination to get back up, right? You know, it's like that song, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You're never going to keep me down, right? And if you're down, there's no way that you cannot communicate to get back up. You need to communicate with each other. That's really the learning standpoint that I want to bring up is because these guys are so young that they haven't kind of felt out the learning curve but I think now they're kind of making that quick turn and if they can keep that turn going that will be so significant going up against a team like Indiana who's scrappy they played hard-nosed basketball especially in the garden they're gonna want revenge that head-to-head matchup is so huge because if you look at it from a Celtics standpoint if you have to play six to seven games against Indiana One, you're going to get tired. And two, you might not even get out of that round. And a first round bounce would say bye-bye to Kyrie. And you don't want that if you're a Celtics fan. You don't. As much as people do not like Kyrie on this team, because for whatever reason, he is the most prolific basketball player on the Celtics. That's just evident. That's an evident answer, and you cannot argue it. You can't. Because the impact on his ball handling, on his playmaking skills as of late, right now, if we're talking about Kyrie possibly leaving the Celtics if it's a first-round bounce, that's a huge, huge impact. I think the argument of a first-round bounce over him going to New York is huge. He has the players on this team. He doesn't have the players in New York. If he has the players on this team and has a first-round bounce... He is not going to want to go through that again. He's not going to want to go through that trouble season and then become a fourth or fifth seed again. Like, that's just not going to happen. It won't fly unless he's a loser. And I don't think he is a loser. I think he really wants to win and help the Celtics. But this team has to show it. These bench players, if they come off the bench and they have this type of role, like Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward and and Terry Rozier, and even Aaron Baines, if he comes off the bench, which I think he'll start. But if they have some kind of role where they know each each of their opportunities and responsibilities coming off that pine, it's going to be very, very helpful for Brad Stevens to develop a rotation and to develop a vision in what he wants to see down the stretch in games. I think that's the most important thing is developing a lineup consistency. And if they don't have that lineup consistency and they know their seven to eight man rotations, it's going to become a problem throughout this postseason.
You have to grab that four seed, get home court advantage, win in six, and then play Milwaukee, put up a fight, and then possibly go play Toronto, and then get into the NBA Finals. It is going to be the toughest battle that the Celtics have ever faced. And this year, if they can do it, that just shows how important it is to have a different mindset going into the postseason. Regardless of you being a four seed, if you can have an additional um, motivation coming into the, the postseason where you didn't have a strong regular season, but you gave it your all down the stretch and you got that home court advantage, it is so huge rather than going the fifth or sixth seed. So it's going to be very, very, very vital. I don't mean to emphasize it that much, but it is strongly suggested that Brad Stevens and this team continue on the right path and gain that footprint into possibly an Eastern Conference Finals, into a possibly an NBA Finals. I will try to get a Celtics writer on the next one to preview these matchups because they will be tough matchups from top to bottom, East and West Conference. So tune in. Thank you for listening.